0: Hello, CAA, and welcome to the CAA Conversations podcast. My name is Sunny Spillane. I'm an associate professor of art education at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And today I am hosting a conversation between Amber Coleman and Amber Delgado, Amber Coleman is a doctoral student in art and visual culture education at the University of Arizona and graduate assistant at the Tucson Museum of Art. Amber Delgado recently completed her undergraduate studies at East Carolina University where she double majored in film and art history and currently serves as exhibitions intern and documentary diversity project program associate at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. The topic of their conversation today is inequitable distribution of diversity work in cultural institutions. Welcome, Amber and Amber. Um, Yeah, I'll go ahead and start us off um,
1: talking about Amber Coleman's most recent published article uh, titled, The Team is All White, Reflections on Art Educators on Whiteness, um, which you co-wrote with Dr. Sion's. Um, this article was amazing, and I really enjoyed reading it, and I'm really appreciative of the personal perspective included within this research. I think that it definitely strengthened it so much. Um, So to get started, um, I think that this is a good entry point for the conversation, and I wanted to ask you about um, something that's mentioned uh, early on in the article. Um, So kind of a discussion of styles of teaching as universalisms and in our prep work, you and I both talked about what impact it it has on people of color um, to be historically left out in curriculums. So I guess my first question is, how did you come to that and including that within the article?
2: Um, I think, we kind of started off just kind of pulling these different pieces from our own narratives and kind of saw the commonalities of having these experiences where we felt like, in particular, we weren't able to see our experiences reflected in the curriculum in some of our um, art courses. And so wanting to kind of uh, think about that as part of this larger narrative of like um, the, the ways our education has been taught to us, and how that has like left out that how that often leaves out people of color as a part of this larger um, narrative about whiteness and how the impact of whiteness on the curriculum and who and how who we get to learn about, and also um, how those experiences are conveyed. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and later on in the article, um, in when you guys are recounting your uh, personal experiences. um, You went uh, into experiencing microaggressions. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an important conversation to have when talking about the distribution of diversity work, um, especially in historically white institutions. Um, I think for me, it's been especially difficult in finding the time to process microaggressions. um, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that often doesn't get discussed either. Uh, So not only is there additional labor of processing microaggressions, but there's also getting to the point when you're existing as one of the only people of color, like sometimes there's a desire to suppress feelings of uncomfort because there's institutional pressure to just keep on going through. Um, So, could you expand a little bit on yeah. what, what that means to you exactly? Um, I
2: definitely agree with you. I think in terms of microaggressions, like, I think I might have said it this way in the article as well as like, you, it happens and then you're like, wait, did that really just happen? Or is it just me? Like, am I just overthinking this? Or just like such a slow like delay in processing what just happened that you can't like really respond in the moment the moment has kind of like gone on and like do I address it now that I realize this is what this was or do I not um and so thinking about just like like you said how that plays into it especially when you're like one of the few or one of the only people of color in a predominantly white institution um it's it's sometimes it's you, I feel like you have these moments where you're trying to figure out like, what's the best way to respond? Do you want to respond? If you do respond, like what is going to be the consequences of responding? So having all these like additional thoughts that maybe like your white peers would not have to think about if they want to address something with someone else within the same institution. I think that's one thing that is a definitely a consideration for people of color who do work in these kind of spaces.
1: Yeah. And that, that also ties back into curriculum because Mm -hmm. like I mentioned to you before, like I didn't have an introduction to black feminism until uh, my undergraduate career. So like, I feel like in cultural institutions uh as an adult like you're kind of expected to know how to process these things because it's like oh well you're a person of color you've dealt with this all your life but it's like i have dealt with this all my life and i haven't learned how to process exactly. and how to carry it until most more recently <laughs> and i'm still <laughs> in the process of learning okay. um so uh i feel like that continuous learning experience in itself is another way in which there's an in equal distribution of Mm -hmm. of work. Um, And I don't think that's often considered when asking people of color to represent Mm -hmm. diversity. I think just
2: connecting based off of what you said as well, like when we talked about it before, I mean, I didn't learn about black feminism really until I was in graduate school. And so it's kind of like this taken for granted understanding that like, oh, you understand everything about your experiences and like the groups to which you identify, but that might not be true for everyone. I'm still learning. I still want to learn. There's so many things that I don't feel like I necessarily know about Black culture or African American culture or history. And so I'm like still learning all these things. So to expect like the one-person institution to be like the know-all or like be-all for like their particular culture is unrealistic.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. And a a failure of diversity as well. (laughs) To like, to represent as, uh, to to be a spokesperson, essentially it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't, (laughs) and it doesn't always, it doesn't pan out that way for everybody. And uh, there's also another way I feel um, that there is a difference in, in how this work plays out is um, the struggle of having to recontextualize your existence um, and quickly having to adapt. So again, like, not only is it this expectation, like, because you identify as this, and you know how to process, and you know how to speak on behalf, and all of the expectations that are placed upon you by being within a space that wants you to represent as all of those things. But there's also the process of relearning an environment and specifically how do you navigate that environment as a person of color? In a a way, I feel like the navigation never stops just like we mentioned the learning never stops. You're constantly having to reshape and refocus how you're going to approach a space
2: yeah no i completely agree i think that should be something that's just considered um not just for people of color but for anyone just entering any kind of different space like you're having to renegotiate like how do you fit within this space um and just not taking i guess not thinking that like anyone who comes into the space can just automatically do something or automatically knows how to do something or how to, um, or just can easily adapt without any kind of prior knowledge or context or understanding of like what kind of spaces spaces they're working in, especially thinking about working in like cultural institutions like museums. Um, each museum is so different. Each museum has a different culture within this like staff and how they work and like, what they're doing um, especially if we're thinking about like how the different ways that they might be trying to approach diversity within those spaces so I think like we said before that just not be not taking for granted that we can just easily come in and just adjust to whatever is our whatever the culture is already there.
1: Right and that assumption is also I feel like speaks to how diversity is used as a bu- buzzword and uh, just existing as an inherent positive that doesn't really re- require any grounding um, and I wanted to ask what has your experience been in discussions on diversity um, <laughs> and you're especially working in, a, in an art museum currently do you find that in previous spaces that you've been, that it has been practiced as just a abstract positive, or has there been further <laughs> inquiry <laughs> I
2: actually love that phrase, abstract positive. I think exactly yes. <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. And I think also thinking about um, like we talked a little bit about each other's work and we read some of each other's work. Um, and just going back to that idea of buzzwords, I think initially you have these words and they they're they start off with some like good intent you know what I mean and so Mm -hmm. but then at some point it just kind of gets lost in just like so what do you actually mean like I feel like each institution um not just museums but just even just thinking about universities everyone is employing this like diversity or these like diversity, equity, accessibility, inclusion initiatives, but each one has such different definitions of like what all those words mean um, to the point where it seems like it almost gets lost. Like people have a general understanding of like what those words are supposed to mean. But then also, I think, um, I think it was also something I read when I was looking at some of your work as well, Amber, just thinking about like, we can't take these as having these inherent values, like, or even in the institutions that like, if someone says like, oh, we value diversity, we want to include more diverse um, groups in our spaces, to not take for granted that that everyone is understanding diversity with the same kind of definition and that everyone's putting that into practice, if that makes sense. Um, So just thinking that I think even if an institution says that we're trying to incorporate diversity in this particular way, everyone within the organization might interpret that in different ways. I think it also comes to the fact, um, I think we talked about this in the article as well, just kind of talking about like these implicit biases that people have, like it might not be something that you readily recognize that you have and so you might say i value diversity but you might not be practicing that value at all um so i think also recognizing that not everyone is practicing what they preach um Mm -hmm. and so you can say that you're do that you're valuing this thing but you might not actually be practicing it
1: right and there's no inquisition to like how it's being practiced because yeah. it is like such an abstract like mm-hmm. well if you say you're doing diversity then that's good like <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> just gonna walk away and leave it alone <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um there's yeah there's no inquiring as to mm-hmm. well how exactly does that play out and and what exactly are those values exactly. um I think the repeated practice of there not being um kind of like an inventory of the labor that's going into that. Um it's kind of standardized and flattened into this, like I said
0: before, like a positive abstract uh, yeah. or abstract positive. <laughs> that phrase abstract positive is absolutely brilliant. I wrote it down as a note <laughs> on on my uh on my notes page here. And I think that's well, and you set up the conversation this way. I think this is a perfect way to segue into what requirements should institutions meet before requesting the presence of those who represent diversity. I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is that when we, that diversity can easily become this abstract positive when there is not a concurrent attention to systems of oppression and structures of power and the ways that diverse identities and people that fall in, you know, that are diverse in different ways um are not, you know, just gleefully being diverse together in this rainbow, you know, panacea of positivity that diversity actually exists in a hierarchy.
2: Thinking about what you just said and thinking about this kind of like hierarchy and the power relations um thinking about diversity. I mean, just In the way that I understand diversity, it just automatically sets up um, anyone who is not considered a part of the norm as the diverse person. Like, we're diverse because we're not white or male or upper class or whatever the, the norms are for the dominant culture in our society those are the others, those are the people who are diverse, these are the people that they're trying to have come into these institutions um, that were never made for us to be there in the first place other than as for spectacle. Um, And so it's interesting to think about just the nature of using this word diversity as just kind of like setting up these like binaries or these oppositional um, experiences that Whatever is not the norm is what is diverse, what is the other.
1: Yeah, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot, like requirements institutions should meet. I mean, yeah, to Amber's point, it's not to sound cynical, but it's difficult because these institutions weren't built with us in mind, really. And I think that's why there's a struggle to, there's a constant struggle to (laughs) meet this unified goal of of having a diverse institution but there's no really like concrete evidence for what that exactly means um, so i mean but i think base level requirement um should be especially if an institution is predominantly white to have um a plan for consistent equity and diversity trainings because I think that's another way that diversity isn't working. Uh, is because of the institutionalization has caused its stagnation. There's a bureaucratic association with just like, you know, not fully transforming and changing uh, structures of power. Mm-hmm. It's just like saving face by, you know, like doing these uh, small gestures, like Mm -hmm. changing hiring practices. But ultimately, there's no shift in how uh, examines structures of power. So I think that um, it's difficult. Like, I think it's, without a doubt, there has to be constant work. And I think that diversity as practice doesn't do that. It's just, you know, stopping at representation Mm -hmm. because that's all that's really required as it's practice.
2: I definitely agree with that. Um, Well, I think in some ways representation is very important. It's important to like be able to see people from different backgrounds within the space or uh, works or uh, objects or artifacts represented from different groups. I think that's important, but also not just stopping there, like you said, like not Like, oh, we showed a work by a Black artist, you know, we did our diversity due for the year or for whatever, Mm -hmm. and now we don't have to engage any further. Or just, like, just by having that one object or something like that, we don't have to engage in, like, um, contemporary standpoints or voices within our communities that might want to engage with this work or engage even more with our um, spaces. So... I definitely agree. Just, you can't just stop there. Um, and then um, I don't know if this kind of answers the question, but I also think about what happens when there are no resources or incentives for doing this. Like, I don't know necessarily what we would require, but I feel like often um, it seems like there has to be like an incentive or some kind of additional resources given or funding or um, bringing in um, diverse people to kind of get these things going off the ground. So what happens when there aren't those things there? Why, like, I think it goes back to what Amber um, was talking about, like why are these institutions changing? Why are they trying to be more diverse? And like, why should they? And like, why are, who are they trying to really serve by making these changes to be more diverse, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, and, and you saying that just makes me think of a previous point we touched on, like if people of color are having to do constant navigation and constant learning, why isn't the institution that requires or is asking for a presence like consistently having to do learning and education and mm-hmm. uh, reshaping programming and all of these things as well? Like there's that right there is an obvious imbalance of like how an institution can stay stagnant, but we constantly have to do the work of well, how can I best exist? How can I easily exist within this space that is always going to be a challenge? It's a direct contradiction, <laughs> you
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> like you said, this places more, even more work, even if it's just mental work, of yeah, have to yeah. think about these things and have to, having to navigate that. And I think going back to like what you were saying about like the trainings and just thinking about who is in the room, like, even if we um, train these predominantly white institutions to equitably incorporate more diverse practices, like, how how can we get more people of color into these positions and onto the staff to be in these rooms to be able to, to also insert these, their perspectives in ways that would be even more beneficial to what is happening in these spaces. How can we, well, I don't know, how can we, but how, how, I think that's something for institutions to
0: think about how to have the staff also reflect the communities that they're trying to serve. Who ultimately benefits from diversity as it's currently practiced? I think the institutions
2: benefit from it. I don't, I don't always know if the communities benefit from it, especially if it's um, so superficial as um, Amber was saying, where it's just like, just representation, but not any engagement past representation. Um, I think it benefits the institutions to look like, hey, we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing that everybody's doing that everyone's taking for granted as these like uh, diversity as a universal, um as this abstract positive um <laughs> you know, um just thinking yeah i think they have the most to benefit from it
1: yeah i agree completely and i think <laughs> by by this point in the conversation people could probably guess that that's what i stand <laughs> it's, uh, the institution definitely i feel and it's interesting because um you know, there are sometimes because we're when we're talking about cultural institutions. I mean, let's just lay out that you know we are talking about universities and art museums and arts nonprofits. Like it's not just the museum specifically, but with all of those places, um, sometimes there could be an argument made for resources. So you know, like well, we may not be completely diverse, but we're providing resources. <laughs> so. And and that is that is important. That is a value and that is uh something that especially people of color need. Um but at the same time, I mean, sometimes that can confirm the imbalance of the relationship. Like, well, we don't represent our values or our stated values, but we have things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I think you know is is such a strange relationship because people should use those things. And and if people have access to uh, resources that an institution provides, then that is, that is benefiting a community uh, without a doubt. But sometimes the facade of resources can do more harm. And I think that ultimately that still leads institutions to benefit, um, especially when it's predominantly people of color using those resources.
2: I agree. I think it kind of... Either sets up this dynamic where we have things that you need or we need you, but not as much of a dialogue between the two. Like, what do we both need? What how can we serve each other and how can we help each other to
0: like benefit in the space of wherever we are? So what are the efforts that should be made in reimagining diversity? I would say that maybe we need a new word, but I don't, I
2: don't, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like even if you come up with another word, it it can fall into the same traps as diversity is already falling into. So maybe it's not another word, but maybe just more action. Like if you're saying you're doing these things, you need to be doing it across the board or it needs to be visible in the sense that, um, everyone is on the same page about what needs to be done and being engaging with the communities that want to, want to engage with these institutions.
1: Um, I credit a lot of my thoughts on diversity to a book I read last year by Sarah Ahmed um, on being included, uh, which I definitely recommend. But she, she brought up um, how kind of equity transformed into diversity so it's like we had a different word but the same trap was happening um Mm -hmm. yeah and i um i just think of the necessity or kind of setting like built-in check-ins of some some sort you know because i think that's what ultimately is the problem right now is like i said the stagnation and a flattening that's happened as a result of nobody ever doing this inquiry or this inquiry never being like a necessity in order for an institution to survive. It's just, you know, um, we're checking a box and that's enough. <laughs> so if if there are built-in um, criteria and programming and actions that happen, <laughs> that have to happen in order for your institution to survive, then I think that, from that activity there's inherently going to be more of a of an inquiry as opposed to just assuming that everything's great because people of color are here and the people of color are definitely great because they're here and that that is not at all (laughs) (laughs) as we all know that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, like there's an assumption, you know, like well, we yeah. don't need to ask how they're doing, they're doing
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> they're happy to be here. Right. And our work is done. Look, we have people of color on staff. Yeah. <laughs> there's one in a sea of white people. Exactly.
2: Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. And I think also with that, I think um thinking about to back to something that I remember reading from something that you wrote, Amber, I think you mentioned not forgetting colonialism and kind of forgetting just the starts of these institutions. I think it's really important for these institutions to recognize that we might not have meant for any of these groups to be here in the first place. And just starting from that recognition and not pretending like, oh, you know, we that, that thing happened back then, but we we're trying to be progressive and move towards a different direction. I think actually acknowledging why these groups aren't in these spaces in the first place and kind of starting from that and just building the conversation with like, yes, we recognize that um, we weren't including these groups before. And now we see that there's a benefit to us as well as to these groups for us to have them in these spaces, to have dialogue with them in these spaces. And that's what we want to do going forward. I think that's really important. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I think about that so much um, is, is what what calls for diversity? Where is that posted within institutions? Where is that, you know, where is a long history <laughs> presented as to how this institution has existed as historically white? For X amount of years, um, why isn't that necessary? Uh, that's so so important because, again, that that confirms and that's what allows uh, diversity to exist as this abstract positive. It's just like one day we just decided we needed <laughs> that, as opposed to like what concretely has led to this, mm-hmm. um, and and how is that being accounted for?
0: So. Last week, I recorded a conversation between Beth Bolero and Lisa Paluai from the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. And they they were talking about their efforts at their institution to recruit and and retain students and faculty of color. And they had had some success and they were really talking about it. And they have some challenges too, obviously they talked about some of that, but one thing that, one of many things that interested me in that conversation was some of their language around diversity. They, in fact, did not use the the term diversity at all, but um, Lisa Paluai is the Dean of the Office of Justice, Equity and Transformation at MassArt. And I wonder, and it seems relevant at this point in, in your conversation to interject. I wonder how that choice of language of justice, equity, and transformation might change the conversation and give us different tools to think with about the issues that you're raising. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I had
1: never heard um, that framing before. Um, Same. Yeah, so it's me interesting. yeah, And I wonder if that's going to be like a shift that's mm. coming up um, institutionally. Like maybe there is going to be some language changing. Um, yeah, I feel I feel two ways about that. I think that that does ground more of what I feel diversity would like to be. Uh, it takes away from the blurriness and the abstractness to have words that can actually hold people accountable. But at the same time, I also, and just generally, I think that without the accountability factor, like there could also be another, those are still susceptible to being buzzwords as well. Um, But I do think that they are effective in grounding the what these actions or what this position is meant to do.
0: Yeah, it seemed that there was something about justice and transformation that suggests work. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Which is, diversity is lacking. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right, like diversity is something that could just happen. You each mentioned this in your conversation in different ways, but this, notion that people of color and people who are not members of the dominant culture are the ones who have diversity. Right. That right, that it's let's add some diverse people (laughs) so to make our institution (laughs) and our thinking and our practices diverse. Uh, And and you know that's just a very troublesome and you know concept that doesn't move The work uh, that doesn't move this work forward in any way and continues to um, place the burden of that work on the diverse people that are doing the work of diversifying the institution when the responsibility needs to rest with the institution.
1: Absolutely. And can I just add to that? That makes me so excited because I agree <laughs> with that completely. Um, I would just like to add to that that is unpaid additional labor, you know. Um, yes. and that's the <laughs> the epitome of the title of this episode. Um, uh, when we're talking about unequitable work, not only are you wanting me to do that additional labor, but it's uncompensated work. Yes. And where we're, we're in a, in a title or where in a contract. Is, does it say also change this institution <laughs> <laughs> also transform this institution my title is to transform this institution. I just happen to be a person of color <laughs> like you know <laughs> so to put that to put that additional labor expect that additional labor of me is absurd <laughs> that's and that's something that's not asked of white people you know, it's all,
2: I feel like sometimes it's almost expected that for Some white people to do the work that they will be compensated. Like, you will be given additional resources to do this work. You will be given funding or extra people to be able to accomplish this work. But, like, as you said, Amber, it's almost expected that we would just do it by existing. existing. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You can do this. You're already doing it by, like, just being here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's, it's also like taking the assumption that, in a way, people of color, uh, or those who represent diversity, have an obligation to the institution they exist within. Um, and like I said, like, if, if historically there's been this imbalance, I now exist to... to write the balance. Yeah, I, I now exist to not only do the labor of being here and what my position holds, but also transform the, the entire history of how this institution has historically existed um, and it's even if i were capable of doing that work even if i were compensated of doing that work who's to say that i'm by virtue of being here obligated to
0: do that work like it's mm-hmm. it's uh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you're the dean of the office of justice <laughs> and transformation <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know.
1: yeah. Uh,
0: but so far, I didn't read that in either of your job titles.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. and I think that also might be mistaken, be- maybe because of the work that we do, um, yeah. like for if like a person of color is focused on trying to um, include these diverse perspectives in the spaces that they're in, or wants to try to engage with um, the communities that they're a part of within these spaces, then it's like, it it does seem like, oh, well, they're already doing this work. That's something Mm -hmm. that they're interested in. So it's also just taking that for granted that we would want to do additional work that is isn't encompassing because we're willing to do it for ourselves or in our own work because we really do care about the work that we're doing. It's just kind of like, well, you can do this extra stuff too while you're at it, but that shouldn't be an assumption that is made or something that is acts up without, like you said, any compensation.
1: Absolutely. And and adding on to that, I think something that's important to also mention in thinking about reimagining diversity is, you know, this is happening everywhere, but people of color, marginalized people, are going to create their own spaces. I feel like that's a way of reimagining our existence mm-hmm. is to is to mm-hmm. completely start over with with certain institutions. And that's Yes. I feel like that's a that's an imperative part of it. Um and not just uh I mean gallery spaces, like community gallery spaces. Uh mm-hmm. in Durham um recently uh unfortunately they're closing because they we're unable to sustain funding, but um, there's a community art gallery called the Carrick that was no commission and um, no application fee and with a, an obvious mission of being accessible to the community. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's plans in the future for another space to exist like that. Um, mm-hmm. So in reimagining, we have to, in a way, bypass these... Limitations, and and a way to do that is to create our own spaces.
2: I definitely agree with that, and I think people of color are are doing that, have been doing that, and I think it'll just increase um, that these spaces that weren't meant for us to be in anyway. Why would we want to be a part of them in some ways? Um, why not create our own spaces, like you said? I think it the the kind of Culture, the nature of these spaces often prompt us to do that.
1: Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> Even just for ourselves, just to yes. know that we can create spaces that value us without having to um, kind of explain why we are a value.
1: Or exactly. To, like, make a exactly. case for why we should be here. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's so imperative, and and there's so much power in doing that. Um, especially as a community, um, for a community to rise up and say like, we're gonna that, like find a space for us to be able to value each other and see each other fully, as opposed to waiting and hoping and wishing is incredibly powerful. I guess my one of my closing questions for Amber is uh, mm-hmm. going to be, um, on the imperative of black feminism in the process of reimagining diversity practices, and like we were just talking about, creating our own spaces. Um,
2: I think it definitely can play a role in re- reimagining diversity. I think it has. I'm thinking about. Um, I think it was like the a black feminist artist collective. Where we at? in like the maybe 70s and 80s, where mm-hmm. they did create their own spaces to have their own exhibitions for the purpose of supporting each other and being able to have a space to share share their work. And I feel like for myself, in doing like my master's research, kind of seeing the, with the group of Black women that i worked with, um, just seeing the the power of Black feminism in one way to understand our own experiences and to be able to translate that through art and be able to showcase that in the gallery-like space. Like you said, just kind of reimagining this, our our own ability to um, exhibit our experiences and our ideas and our and our artwork. I think Black feminism has a lot to offer. In, this kind of like work around cultural institutions and in in the art world, in terms of thinking about how can we include different experiences or like how can we think of different ways or or alternative ways and spaces to exhibit our experiences. Wow.
0: Well, we've covered a lot of ground. (laughs) (laughs) What What an incredible conversation. Maybe this is a good stopping point for now. Any parting thoughts or questions for one another?
1: I just want to highlight uh the importance and I'm so happy that we touched on microaggressions and and this notion of still being in progress and, and learning how to carry and 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 be ourselves in these spaces that request our presence. Um, because I I don't think that that's ever thought of or considered that nobody's an expert in handling <laughs> or processing um, microaggressions and I, I don't know if anybody ever will be. It's just a constant navigation. And I thank you, Amber for highlighting that within your article recently because um, people need to understand that it is it's it's always, labor <laughs> <laughs> never ending <laughs> it is.
2: and I think um just in this conversation and conversation that we had previously Amber I feel like I've been thankful to kind of like think back on like how to like think of critiquing these institutions especially in terms of like diversity practices and so just thinking about that going forward especially um, working again in a museum space um, I think I'm excited to kind of take take this conversation and take this thinking going forward especially um, since the Tucson Museum of Art was just awarded an IMLS grant to kind of start doing these kinds of things and trying to so I'm excited to think about the the maybe small impact that I might have in helping with it, but also just thinking going forward about um, the nature of diversity and like what are the motivations behind the institutions that we work in and trying to be more diverse and what does that mean? And how are they trying to
0: serve serve the communities that they are a part of? Well, this has been fantastic. Um, Thank you both. Amber Delgado and Amber Coleman for participating in the CAA Conversations podcast today.